Well, good morning. How are we? Uh, I heard a great over here. Somebody's great. Anybody else? How we doing this morning? Uh, there's a few more. That's good. That's good. Wow. We're really good today. Uh, let me ask you a question. How many of you have ever been in a fight? Come on. A few of you put your hands up. Uh, can you think back? Can you think back maybe to elementary days when you were in a fight, maybe in elementary school? You know, I, 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 I you know, <laughs> this is supposed to be honest as a pastor. So I'm going to tell you about my very first fight. I've been in two fights, okay? My very first fight, um, fourth grade. Now, in fourth grade, of course, as a fourth grade boy, you've got a love interest, right? Because that's what all fourth grade boys do. And, and, and there was this girl that uh, my buddy went out with, and my, my other buddy had a crush on, my other buddy had a crush on, and, and it was my turn. And so I got the crush on the girl, and, and, and uh, you know, she was like friends with me. And it was one of those things, and I think I told you guys, you guys have heard this story. I, I, it was one of those things where I had the crush on her, but I was afraid to talk to her. And so anytime I wanted to say something to her, I'd send one of my friends over to go and say, hey, you know, uh, and then they'd come back. And it was, you know, really juvenile, fourth grade. And so, anyways, uh, this girl, I had the biggest crush on her. And, um, and all of a sudden, there was a problem that arose. And there was a foreign, foreign exchange student named Celio Cabril, who is from Brazil, who moved and went to our school. And this foreign exchange student, with his accent, with his hair looking a little different, with, man, all the girls were flustered over Celio. And, and, and I remember the girl started, I, this fourth grade, I mean, seriously? But the girl, she, she, she started not talking to me anymore. She started not paying it, and she was all about the foreign exchange student. And I remember I just got so mad at him. And, and, and so there's one day we're, we're out on recess, and uh, kids, this is why we don't really need recess. But there's one day while we're, we're out at recess, and, uh, and, and of course I'm afraid to talk to the girl. So I'm over there and, and I got my friend and he's going over there and, and, and he's talking to the girl and coming back and, and, and here comes Celia with his accent. He comes over and he starts talking to her like just face to face. And I'm like, what? And, and I'm like, no, you don't. And so, so he walked away and I, and we started this confrontation. It was really funny. And I think I started, I, I, I think I pushed him at first. Uh, then I think he punched me in the face. And uh, then we did what fourth grade boys do. We rolled around on the ground and it looked like we were really, you know, and it was, it, oh, it was the stupidest thing in the world. You know, and I remember we got up and went to the principal's office and, 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 and I was, you know, I wasn't, a, I'm not a bruiser. I'm not a fighter. And, and I remember in the principal's office, I couldn't stop crying. I'm so sorry, Celio. I'm sorry. Welcome to America, but I'm sorry. And and, and the, the principal comes in and, oh, principal, principal. I'm, and, and I'm so terrified that he's going to suspend me and I'm going to go home and my mom's just going to do what moms do. And, oh, my gosh, it was, it was terrible. And uh, so that was, that was my childhood fight. And there's only one other fight that I've been in. There was another fight. Um, I, a little bit older, I was in high school. And I was, I was a wrestler in high school. And so I was, I was in this match, and I was beating this guy. because I was, you know, you got to wrestle against guys your size, which was the benefit of me wrestling. And so, and so I was wrestling, and I was beating this guy. In the middle of the match, I don't even remember what he did. I think he pinched me. I think he did something that was just stupid. It was just dumb. And the ref didn't see it. And so I'm 
getting angry because he keeps doing this to me. And so, so in the middle of the match, my rage kicks in. And, and, and instead of being intelligent about it, I just got narrow focus and I kept running at him. I kept running at him. And he kept grabbing me and doing this fireman's carry and taking me down and throwing me down to the ground. And then he let me up. And every time he did that, I got more angry. And so I'd run at him again, and he'd do the same thing. And then he, he did this like 10 times. And I ended up losing the match because I was so angry, and I was so, my rage was kicked in, and I was just, I wasn't thinking. I'm going right at it. And he did the same move like 10 times in a row. And I lost the stinking match because of, I, I tell you, I never lost my, my temper in a wrestling match again after that because you kind of learn from the first time. Oh, man. You know, the reality is, you know, sometimes there are fights that are worth fighting for. I mean, sometimes there are fights. A fourth grade crush is probably not something worth fighting for. I mean, we would probably agree with that. But I'll tell you, you know, my family, my family is something I'm going to fight for. You know, marriage. Those of you in here today need to know that marriage is something worth fighting for. I mean, marriage in, in, in our society, it's attacked on so many sides. I mean, it's so easy for people to, to discard marriage and say, I give up and I quit. It's so easy for us as a culture to begin to redefine what marriage is. But we need to understand that marriage was God's idea in the first place. And it is worth fighting for. You know, uh, so we know there are silly fights. And, and there are silly reasons to fight. And you know, in the church, there's no difference. And the church, we find the, the, the silliest things to fight about in the church. Have you seen this before? Have you seen people fight and argue over the silliest things within the church? Thomas Rainier, who is the, the, the president of uh, Lifeway Publishing and, and Distributor, um, prior to, to being the president of Lifeway, he was a consultant for many years with many churches. And, and he would interview many churches. He, he, he probably met with, with, with thousands of churches or maybe hundreds of churches. And he interviewed thousands upon thousands of church members. And it was, he said it was so intriguing because as you're interviewing church members, you're hearing all the things that they argue about and all the things they fight about. And he said it's ridiculous. The things that were most often uh, talked about as he was a consultant, he said, you know, they fought about uh, this music style. They fought about music volume. They, t- they, they fought about what the proper dress code in church is. They, they, they fought about the expectations on pastors and pastors' kids. They, they fought about, they fought about, uh, no doubt, they fought about the color of the carpet. They fought, out, they, they fought about who's going to choose what color to paint the wall. And within the churches, this becomes what we argue about. I mean, have you seen this before? This is ridiculous. Now, absolutely, there are things that the church should fight for. There are lines that we need to draw. But there's also silly arguments that really have no bearing on the mission or the purpose of the church. And so the question comes, what is the measure? What is the rubric uh, of, of what fights we as a church should take and which ones we should set aside? So this is where I want to introduce our new sermon series called Fight Club. We will be studying through the book of 1 Timothy for the next uh, three months or so, 11 or 12 weeks. And what I'm excited about for, in 1 Timothy is we will see some things that really become a, a biblical rubric, a, a measuring stick for the church on what are, those, what are those arguments that we need to stand up on? What are those lines that we need to draw? And what are things that we can set aside? 
And so, and so we're going to start through 1 Timothy today. If you have a Bible, I'd invite you to turn to 1 Timothy. It's in the uh, New Testament, second half, of your, second half of your Bible. If you need a Bible, there's an usher in the back. If you just slip your hand up, he'd love to come up and bring you one. Uh, if uh, if uh, you don't have a Bible and you and, and, and hard time finding it, it will be on the screen. We're going to look at verses 1 through 2 today of chapter 1 of 1 Timothy. And the goal for today is really to come and have an introduction into 1 Timothy. An introduction into who the key characters are, what problems we're going to be faced with, and what is the purpose of this book of 1 Timothy. So, 1 Timothy chapter 1, verses 1 and 2. And this is what it says. It says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God the Father, and Christ Jesus our Lord. That is God's word for us this morning. Let's pray. God, we thank you for this opportunity to be in your house today, to be uh, with your people We thank you for the opportunity we have to open up your word and say, God, would you teach us something new? Would you speak to our hearts through your word? Lord, that's what your word does. It draws us to yourself. It it points us to you. So God, I pray as we open up this, this and try and understand a little bit about this book of 1 Timothy. God, I pray that you would reveal yourself to us. That you would speak to our hearts. For those that are coming in today who are hurting, Lord, I pray that you would comfort them. Lord, I pray for every one of us that you would draw us to yourself. Lord, we love you and we praise you and we ask your blessing in our time together. In your name, amen. See, what we're going to see in 1 Timothy is is we're going to see that this is a letter. This is a letter written by an older man, an older pastor named Paul to a younger man, a, a younger pastor named Timothy. But before we can understand them and their relationship, we really need to see that it really it starts back in the life of Jesus. I mean, this whole story, everything comes back to the life of Jesus. Jesus came and he lived on the earth as a man. And he died on the cross and he rose from the grave and he ascended back into heaven. And see, when Jesus did this, there were some people who loved him. There were many people who loved him. But there were also many people who hated him. And one of the people who hated Jesus the most was this guy named Paul. This guy named Paul, he was basically a terrorist. He was a persecutor of the church. Paul was a persecutor. He hated Jesus so much that anybody who claimed to worship Jesus, Paul believed that they should be arrested and they should be put to death for believing in Jesus. And so, as we look in God's Word, we're going to look at a lot of different texts, Scripture verses today. And so, they'll be on the screen. You can take notes if you'd like. Uh, so, in, in Acts chapter 9, we see that Paul is on the way, is on his way to do exactly that. He was on his way to go and to kill Christians. And, uh, uh, but while he's on his way, Jesus intervenes while Paul was on the road to Damascus. And Jesus comes down from heaven, and he basically knocks Paul down on his backside. He basically stops him in the middle, middle of his tracks. And, and he says, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? That's a good question. And Paul says, Paul says, who are you, Lord? And, and Jesus says, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. 
See, what Paul had done is Paul had put it upon himself to gather a gang of thugs and to go around and to murder Christians. And on his way to do just that, Jesus says, now nah, we got to do something about this. And Jesus steps off the throne for a minute. And he comes down and he knocks Paul on his backside and he blinds him. And he asks this question, Paul, Paul, why are you persecuting me? And see, in that moment, in that very moment, Paul realizes that Jesus really did rise from death. He realizes that he's encountered the risen Jesus Christ, and he gets converted. He becomes a Christian that day. His whole life changes, and he goes from being Paul the pure persecutor to Paul the Christian. He goes from being a man who murders uh, Christians to eventually he goes and actually becomes a pastor. See, if you can picture this, I mean, can you picture Paul, who is known as being a persecutor, who is known as killing Christians? Could you imagine if he walked into our church today and said, hey, guys, hey, yeah, I became a Christian. Can I, boy, jo- can I, can I join your Bible study here today? I mean, naturally, some of us would be a little uneasy if somebody like Paul, who was essentially a terrorist, if he came in and said, hey, can I join your Bible study? This would be like, this would be like, the president of the Al-Qaeda terrorist network, network, walking in and saying, hey guys, I'm glad you're here today. Can I, can I lead you guys in prayer? Everybody close your eyes. And I'm saying, no, not a chance there, homeboy. I mean, that's, that, that, that's, you got a picture. That's what is happening with Paul. Uh, Paul is a persecutor of the church and, and God meets him on this road and, and changes his life in that moment. And, and Paul becomes a Christian. <laughs> And Paul really did get converted. And from that point forward, God calls Paul to go forward as a missionary and to suffer in his name. So Paul goes out and he starts preaching about Jesus with boldness and courage to lots and lots of different people who had never heard about Jesus and hadn't heard about what Jesus offers through the gospel. So Paul, the former persecutor of the church, he meets Jesus, he becomes a Christian, he goes on and becomes a, he becomes a pastor, and he becomes a church planner, he becomes a missionary, possibly the greatest missionary that's ever lived. In fact, he wrote over half of our New Testament in the Bible. And so look, at, look back at verse 1. Paul, who's writing the letter, he, he identifies himself as the, as the author of this book. And he identifies himself with the credentials in writing this letter. He says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God our Savior, and of Christ Jesus our hope. See, Paul says, Paul, Paul his, 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 his credentials to writing this letter, he says, I'm an apostle. So he's Paul the persecutor, he becomes Paul the Christian, and now we know him as Paul the apostle. Now, see, this word apostle has a general sense in which it means that somebody who has been sent. I mean, in, in a general sense, it means somebody who has been sent. Uh, Ralph Davis, who's a pastor and former professor at the uh, Reformed Theological Seminary, he explained this word uh, to, uh, to imply specifically that the one sent is as the sender himself. And so an apostle would be one who is sent as the sender himself. I mean, we would think of it like an ambassador. You see, the ambassador of the United States, what happens is when they go into another country, when they go into another place, the ambassador has the authority to speak on behalf of the president. When the ambassador lays down terms and says, this is what we're going to do, and presents the, 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 the options, 
He is presenting those options as being straight as the word from the president. And so when, 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 you, when you go against the ambassador, when you say, I'm not going to listen to the ambassador, you're basically saying, I'm not going to listen to the words of the president. And so in the Bible, an apostle is one sent by God, specifically the 12 apostles who followed Christ and were eyewitnesses to his resurrection and to Paul. And so Jesus entrusted these specific apostles with a unique authority to speak on Jesus' own behalf and the beginning of the church. See, this is what Paul says, as an apostle, I'm writing this, here's my credentials, here's why you need to listen to me. I tell you, a couple of years ago, a number of years ago when I was at Madison House, I got this letter from this guy who ran a ministry, and I don't know where it was from. And on top of, on top of this page, it said, a message from the Lord God Almighty. And I thought, this is kind of interesting. And uh, then he signed it his, with his name at the very bottom of the page. You see, this is very dangerous. This, this is a very dangerous thing for us to think about getting into. I mean, to say that we have a word from God, we have some fresh, some new revelation from God. I mean, that is a very dangerous place for us to try and go into. You see here, as, as, as a pastor of Restoration Church, I'm not the chef here. I'm not, I'm not the one whipping up the food. You see, my job is not to come up with a new word. My job is to be the waiter. My job is, is, is I don't cook the food. I bring the food out to the table and bring it hot. But it's God's word. And, and this is what Paul's saying. Paul's saying, hey, I'm not bringing something of, of some other. I'm not bringing my opinion. I'm not bringing a good suggestion. Paul's saying, no, I speak. As an apostle of Jesus, I speak with the authority of Jesus. And so when we read the apostles' words, these are the words of, of Jesus himself. This is key, because Paul is going to speak boldly to Timothy. He's going to charge Timothy to fight the good fight of faith, to draw certain lines, and to kick the butt on the wolves who are leading the church astray. And so by beginning this letter, by describing Paul's authority— we know that when we come to this letter, this is not just Paul speaking and saying, Hey, Timothy, hey, Timothy, you know, here's my opinion of how the church should work. Hey, 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 Timothy, hey, Timothy, here's, here's what my wisdom from all of my experience says on how you need to lead and manage the church. No, when Paul's writing this, this is the very words of Jesus himself. What, what, what Paul writes is what Jesus says. And so as we come and we sit under the teaching of this letter of 1 Timothy, we're sitting under the very words of Jesus. I want to point out the fact that Paul didn't choose to become an apostle, or he didn't choose to become a missionary. He said in verse 1, he says, Paul, an apostle of Christ Jesus, by command of God, our Savior, and of Christ Jesus, our hope. You see, Paul was, was called and commanded by God to become an apostle, become a missionary. In, in Acts chapter 9, verses 15 and 16, uh, it writes, uh, Go, for he, being Paul, he is a chosen instrument of mine to carry my name before the Gentiles and the kings and the children of Israel. You see, Paul didn't go to school to become, a, become an apostle. In fact, 2 Corinthians chapter 11 describes some of the benefits of being an apostle. 2 Corinthians chapter 11 says, Five times I received at the hands of the Jews forty lashes less one. Three times I was beaten by rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. Day and night I was adrift at sea. 
on frequent journeys and dangers from rivers and dangers from robbers, danger from my own people, danger from the Gentiles, danger in the city, danger in the wilderness, danger at sea, danger from false brothers in toil and hardship through many sleepless nights and hunger and thirst, often without food and cold exposure. And apart from the other things, there is a daily pressure on me of my anxiety for all the churches. You see, Nobody in the right mind would sign up and, and choose on career day in high school. Nobody would want to say, hey, I'm going to go and become one of these guys. I want to go become an apostle and a missionary. I mean, I mean, when you hear this, I mean, how, do, how many of our jobs look like that? Most of us would say we've got a pretty cushed job compared to what Paul has experienced. But Paul was called by God, and he displays obedience to what God has called him to do as by being an apostle. So that's Paul. Paul was a former persecutor who became a Christian who is now an apostle. The, the next question is, who is Timothy? What do we know about Timothy? Verse 2 gives us a little bit of insight. It says, to Timothy, my true child in the faith, grace, mercy, and peace from God, the Father, and from Jesus Christ. See, from that verse, we can tell that there was some sort of close relationship between Paul and Timothy. There was a a close bond between them where Paul calls Timothy my true child of the faith. You could say that Timothy was Paul's disciple. And and so in the Bible, we're first introduced to Timothy as a a young teenage boy in Acts chapter 16. Acts chapter 16, uh, verse 1 and 2, it says this. It says, Paul also uh, came to Derbe and to Lystra. Uh, A disciple was there named Timothy, the son of a Jewish woman who was a believer, but his father was a Greek. He was well spoken of by the brothers at Lystra and and Iconium. So Timothy here, he's just a teenage boy, and and he's in his hometown of Lystra. And Paul, as Paul's going out doing the work of the missionary, he comes to his town of Lystra, and and he comes across the brothers of the church there, the Christians there, and they say, hey, there's this young man named Timothy. And, you know, he's kind of a stud. And, and Timothy is described as being the son of a Jewish woman who was a Christian, and, and his father was a Greek. Now, his father would not have been a believer. And, and, and in fact, because of his father being a Greek, according to Jewish law, Timothy would have been an illegitimate child. And so, and so, but we know that his mother and his grandmother, they were devout women with a sincere faith, and they must have made a strong emphasis to teach young Timothy of Christ and Christianity, so much so that the fact that Timothy now, uh, among the Christians, he has a good reputation. They can see God's hand on young Timothy's life. And so verse 3 continues, and it says, Paul wanted Timothy to accompany him, and he took him and circumcised him because of the Jews who were in those places, for they all knew that his father was a Greek. And they went on their way through the cities. They delivered to them for observance the decisions that had been reached by the apostles and elders who were in Jerusalem. So the churches were strengthened in the faith, and they increased in numbers daily. So this appears to be the beginning uh, of young Timothy and Paul the apostles' relationship. From this point forward, Timothy becomes a constant traveling companion on, of Paul as Paul travels on his missionary expeditions. On his second and third missionary journeys, Timothy becomes a regular companion, a, a, a support, a, a, a helper to, Tim, to, to Paul as he goes on these journeys. 
So as they would travel, Paul would preach, and Paul would teach, and Paul would kick butt, and Paul would do the things that the apostle does, and Timothy would serve, and Timothy did whatever he could do to help the cause of the gospel and to help Paul do what Paul was called to do. Now let me pause here for a second. Because I just want to say, I sure hope that Restoration Church, I hope we become a church like this. I hope that we become a church like this. See, see, as we look at this and we say, you know, Timothy, Timothy was, was, was kind of being raised by a single mom. I mean, he, he had this dad who was unattached, who was, who was, who was not a believer, who, who was not involved. And, and we see a young teenage Timothy who is wandering, and we see Paul taking Paul, Timothy under his wing and saying, hey, let me, let me teach you, let me show you, let me encourage you, let me build you up. And see, I pray I pray that the single moms out there, I pray that those kids who do not have a godly role model to look up to, I pray that as a church, as a church that we would love those widows and that we would love those single moms and we would love those kids and that they would have godly role models and they would have godly leaders to point to and to look up to and to follow. I mean, this is one of the reasons why I I feel so jazzed about doing ministry at Martin Luther King Elementary. I don't know the statistics at Martin Luther King Elementary as to how many homes actually have both mom and dad in the home. But I know when I was at Madison House, I can think about the the many families that we worked with at Madison House. And I can think of one or two families that actually had both parents in the home for these kids. And you know what these kids were were so hungry for? They were hungry for, for leadership. They were hungry for somebody to set an example. They were hungry to say, would you teach me how to be a man? What it really means? Because they had no clue. These kids had no clue. These kids desperately need a strong, godly role model to point to and to follow. I pray that we be that kind of a church. That as we look at our community, that we say, you know what? Who are those that I can bring under my wing? that I can support, that I can build up. Maybe they don't come from a single-parent home. You know, maybe they have a dad who's not involved. Maybe they have a dad who's not a Christian. Maybe they have a dad who's busy with with everything else going on. I mean, I pray that we be the kind of church that looks for those kids and says, let's do something about this. I mean, mean, James, the brother of Jesus, uh, he said in James 1.27, pure religion and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit the orphans and the widows in their affliction. So that's what Paul has become for Timothy. He's become a, a, a mentor, so to speak, a, a surrogate, a surrogate father. And he's he's and so Timothy, he's followed Paul for years. He's watched and he's learned from, from Paul how to be a leader, how to be a godly man, how to lead. And together in Acts chapter 19, Paul and Timothy arrive in Ephesus. The city of Ephesus. And Paul, he's a church planner and a missionary. So immediately when he comes to the city, he starts preaching. And initially his preaching was well received, but eventually uh, things started turning hostile. So Timothy and Paul, they took those who believed and, and they continued to teach them for, the, for, for about the next, for the next two years in the lecture hall of Tyrannius. And, and eventually, uh, they're, they're there, they're building this church in Ephesus. They're, they're planning this church. And eventually, Paul had so negatively impacted the, the culture and impacted the cultic practices of Ephesus that soon there became a riot that ensued because of Paul's, uh, the church's testimony in the city and because of Paul's preaching. 
So Paul, Paul, Paul knew, hey, you know, I'm going to have to leave after this, this riot started. And, but before Paul leaves, he, he calls together the, the leaders of the church. He calls together the, the, the elders of the Ephesian church. And, and he calls them together and he leaves them with this charge. Acts chapter 20, verses 28 to 30. He says, pay careful attention to yourselves and to all the flock in which the Holy Spirit has made you overseers, to care for the church of God, which he obtained with his own blood. I know that after my departure, fierce wolves will come in among you, not sparing the flock. And from among your own selves will arise men speaking twisted things to draw away the disciples, excuse me, the disciples after them. Let me ask, have any of you guys ever watched the Discovery Channel? And you ever watch any of those animal shows? Have you ever seen the sheep play with the wolves? I mean, do you ever see them go frolicking in the field together? Not something you see. Wild Kingdom 101, wolves kill sheep. If a shepherd allows wolves to hang around uh, their, their flock, eventually some of the flock is going to get killed. They're going to get devoured. And usually it's going to be the weak and immature sheep. And, and we need to understand that as a church, we cannot allow wolves to be a part of us. Because eventually they're going to start leading people away. And eventually they're going to start killing off the sheep. So Paul's challenge and warning to the Ephesians elder was to protect the church from wolves that would rise up from within the church and lead them astray. You know, what's funny is, is, is Satan is trying to figure out, man, how do I stop this Christianity thing from growing? How do I stop the, the mission from, from moving forward? How do I stop the gospel? See, see what Satan's doing? He's trying to, to bring wolves in from within the church. He's trying to, to bring wolves that are dressed as sheep that would lead the, 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 the Christians astray. I mean, do you see Satan's tactic here? And so shortly after Paul's departure... He, he's given them the charge. Shortly after Paul leaves, these false teachers that Paul prophesied about, they came to Ephesus, just like Paul had said. Just like Paul had said. And so, at some point over the next ten years, these wolves continue to wreak havoc in this church at Ephesus, causing all sorts of problems within the church. And so, at some point in the next decade, Paul sends Timothy back to the church and says, Timothy, hey, you got to get things straightened out. Timothy, you got to go there. You got to be the pastor of this church, and you got to get all this figured out. You got to get this church back on track. Timothy is still young. He's probably 30 years old when, when Paul writes this letter to Timothy. And according to 1 Timothy, uh, Paul had his hands full with his church in Ephesus. There are two bookends in Paul's letter to Timothy that summarize the, the, the problems facing the church. First, in, in 1 Timothy chapter 1, verse 3. It says this, and it says, I urged you when I was going to Macedonia to remain in Ephesus so that you may charge certain persons not to teach any different doctrine. I mean, that's the first book. And on the other side, in, in, in chapter 6, verse 20 and 21, Paul says, O Timothy, guard the deposit entrusted to you. Avoid the irrelevant babble and contradictions of what is falsely called knowledge by professing it some have uh, swerved from the faith. See, Paul's saying, hey, you, you know, the issue within the church of Ephesus was false teaching. We don't know the exact type of false teaching that's the issue. But this letter, this letter mentions myths and genealogies. It mentions uh, asceticism. It mentions Gnosticism. 
And so here we have Timothy. He's this young pastor, and he's trying to figure out what the heck is going on here. I mean, he's trying to figure out who the wolves are. He's trying to figure out what lines he's supposed to draw. He's trying to figure out what fights he's supposed to fight. But we know his personality is Timothy is shy. He's a little bit timid, and, and he's young, so the people don't respect his authority because he is a young pastor. And so this is the context of why Paul writes this letter. This is the reason for 1 Timothy. Because there's all these issues within the church that center on false teaching. Because Paul is there, excuse me, because Timothy is there. And Timothy has got to lead the church through this. And got to build a foundation for this church. This is the context of why Paul writes this letter. And Paul says in in chapter 3 verse 15, he says the reason that he writes this letter was that if he were to delay to join them, that you may know how one ought to behave on the household of God, which is the church of the living God, a pillar and buttress of truth. So throughout this letter to this young pastor, Paul's going to address several different aspects of leading the local church. And throughout this book, Paul challenges and charges Timothy to stand firm against the false teachers coming into the church, and to teach true doctrine. Now, sometimes we think that word doctrine, oh, that doctrine, that's, that's for pastors. You know, pastors need to be concerned about doctrine. But Paul's going to make the case throughout this book, Paul's going to make the case uh, that, 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 that good theology, a good understanding of doctrine leads to a life flowing in rhythm with God's will and Jesus' example. And, and he's going to make the case that, that bad theology, that bad doctrine... Uh, leads to a life shipwrecked on the, on the rocks of sin. And so Timothy, Paul's going to charge Timothy to lead courageously, to teach skillfully, and to, to, to be faithful to God's word and teaching God's word for what it is. One of the temptations that we have as we look at this book, one of the temptations we have is, is we want to dismiss this as being a, a letter solely written for pastors. You know, Pastor Kevin, this, this book of uh, first, first Timothy is really for you. It's really for you and the elders on how you're supposed to lead the church. But I want us to understand that every one of us, every one of us has been, has been called to lead. Every one of us has our own church. As a father, as a mother, as a grandparent, as a brother, as a sister, as an aunt, as an uncle, as a, as a, as a son, as a, as a daughter. We have been chosen by God to, to lead and to shepherd our families. They really, our families serve as our first church. And, and so these wolves, they are just as quick at, at, to sneak into our families and to start leading those that we care for uh, away from the truth and away from, from, from what's right to sin and to eventually into death. And so while we look at this book and we can say, hey, it's written for pastors, every one of us is a pastor in our own homes. Every one of us is a pastor in the places that God has placed us. And we have a responsibility, just as Timothy does, to lead and to love, and to protect. So whether you are a man, a woman, a, a dad, a husband, a wife, whether you're single or married, whether you're old, whether you're young, we are charged just as Timothy is charged. And Paul lists four specific charges to Timothy that are just as much for us as they were for, for Timothy. First, Paul charged Timothy to protect. 
Paul charged Timothy to protect. Timothy was to protect the flock from the wolves teaching unbiblical truths. And we are charged with protecting those in our care from false truth. I mean, this isn't just a suggestion. This isn't just a good idea. But it is a command of life and death. I mean, gospel-centered doctrine absolutely matters. Belief in a true doctrine is what Paul writes, sets a person's life on course toward joy and on course toward safety as opposed to sorrow and to shipwreck. I mean, doctrine is that important in our lives. And it is important that we keep our eyes open to those around us for any false doctrine that's going to be creeping in. Secondly, Paul charged Timothy to lead. He, he says avoiding sewer water wasn't Timothy's only responsibility. Paul charges Timothy to take responsibility. He has to make the decision to lead. Timothy's excuses. Timothy had excuses on why he couldn't lead. Timothy said, well, you know, the task is too difficult. Timothy said, well, you know, I have feelings of inadequacy. Timothy, Timothy said, well, well, I'm young and people don't respect me because of my age. But according to Paul, none of these excuses justify Timothy choosing not to lead. I mean, every one of us, we have excuses as to why we don't lead. We have excuses about why we don't be involved. But Paul says none of our excuses matter because every one of us are called to lead. Every one of us are called by God and placed and chosen for the job by God. And so whether you're in your families, whether in your workplace, you are called to lead. You are called to represent. Paul's third charge for Timothy was to teach. Timothy's job was not only to rebuke, exhort, and resist falsehood, Paul doesn't assume that once people stop drinking from from the toilet of falsehood, that they will naturally start drinking from the fountain of biblical truth. They don't do that unless they are taught to do that. And so Paul says, Timothy, hey, you're to teach what what is true and what is right. And this is where the, the fight begins for many of us. Because in order for us to teach, we must first learn. And sometimes it's hard for us to say, you know, I don't have everything all figured out. As, as a pastor, I, I can't tell you how much I continue to learn. How, how every time I open up God's word to study, I'm like, holy cow, what am I, why am I the guy up talking to everybody? I don't know what I'm doing. I'm still learning every week. And that's just the thing is, before we can teach, we have to realize, God, would you teach us? And every one of us are in this spot where, where we are supposed to be learning from God and putting the right back out to those in, to those in, our, in our influence. As we learn from God ourselves, we're supposed to put that right back to those that we love and that we care about. Paul's final charge to Timothy was to love. In addition to the charges of protecting and leading and teaching, Timothy is to love. All of our actions to fight mean nothing if we are not motivated by love. It's our love for others that should lead us to protect and to to lead and to teach. So this is 1 Timothy. Welcome to 1 Timothy. We need this book. We need this book because there are battles that are worth fighting for. We need this book because the church matters to God. The church is his bride. And because it matters to him, it should matter to us. We need this book because our families are at stake. We need this book because if we don't fight for what is most important, if we don't fight for those who we love and we care for the most, 
then we are leaving them to be devoured by the vicious and ruthless world. The, the wolves will come in and, and lead those we love away from the truth and lead them to sin and, and eventually to death. We need First Timothy. Let's pray. God, we want to thank you for this opportunity to begin this new series, to open up your word. Lord, I pray as we spend the next several weeks and a couple of months going through this book of 1 Timothy, God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts, that you would help us discern even in our own lives what lines we're supposed to draw, what fights we're supposed to fight. God, I pray for every one of us in here today that, that as we look at this church, that we would have this kind of concern for our church. That we would want the foundation to be built strong. The foundation to be built that it could withstand the test of time. That, that, that through Restoration Church, God, you would have a legacy here of people coming and, and being redeemed and being free from, from bonds of slave and captivity. And God, I pray that every one of us would be a part of this church. Be a part of, of, of ensuring that we're on the right track. And God, I pray for, for each of us as, as individuals. God, I pray that you would speak to our hearts and you would cause us to lead our families and in our circles of influence. That we would be charged, just as you charged Timothy, to, to protect and to, to lead and to teach and to love. Lord, I pray that we would do that in our own homes. I pray for every one of us that we would protect those we love from wolves that would lead them astray. And lead them to, to silly arguments and to silly things. God, I pray that you would help us to know the fights that we're supposed to pick up. And the fights we're supposed to let aside. God, I pray that you would help us to know what lines we're supposed to draw. So that we, our, our families and those we love would come and, 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 and pursue you for the rest of their lives. God, I pray for every one of us. That you would use this book. That you would draw us to yourself. That you would give us a greater understanding of, uh, uh, of how you feel about the church. And how you feel about each and every one of us. God, we love you and we'll praise you and thank you for who you are and what you've done. And we ask this in your holy and precious name. Amen.